That's Caleb Rappaport of the band Nerd Halen. And honoring our special person of the night, Eddie Van Halen. I've got Caleb from Nerd Halen. I've got Brad Nye, who was on the tour with Van Halen in 1984, that infamous and famous tour. And I've got Andy Allidort back. Andy, who spent an entire day with Eddie at 5150. Tonight, it's all about having fun, people. It's all about honoring the memory. It's all about saying thank you, Eddie, for all the great music and memories. I'm Jamie Green, and this is Trading Forms. Hey everybody and welcome back to another edition of Trading Fours. This one is a very special one as I got together three really cool guys that have really cool stories about Eddie Van Halen because I want to honor Eddie Van Halen and what he did for guitar, how he changed music and all the great music, man. So, you know, this has been difficult on lots of people. Certainly I was hit hard by this and was very saddened by it. But I, I really wanted to have this conversation to be joyful and happy and thinking about all the great things that Eddie did and brought to us and all the beautiful music and memories. So I asked them all to come on live. We did it live last night on Facebook Live, and uh, it was great. We had a great time, and thanks to all those gentlemen for joining me. So without further ado, let's get started. Here's my conversation with Caleb Rappaport of Nerd Halen, Brad Nye, who was on the 1984 tour, and Andy Allador, the lucky, lucky duck that got to spend an entire day with Eddie Van Halen at 5150. Let's do this. A lot of buttons. Meeting is now streaming live on Facebook, it says. Well, I hope it is, because... And it's recording. Yeah, because I'm going to do the audio. And it's also doing an MRI of all of us. That's, That's right. I'm going to give you guys a complete checkup. When we're done, we'll see how you all are doing. It's like the x-ray specs. That's right. So, Andy, thank you for joining us uh, from Long Island. You're going to talk to us a little bit about your day at 5150, you lucky bastard. That was an insane day. And <laughs> it's really all I have. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that. And then next, uh, Brad Nye is joining us from Chicago. Uh, and Brad was uh, on the 1984 tour, which was the first time I saw Van Halen. Blew my mind. Uh, it was amazing. And uh, he was on that tour and actually worked with uh, Harry Shapps and uh, Eddie Anderson. So, Brad, thanks so much for joining us here in Ch from Chicago. Yeah. And then last, last but not least, this guy is awesome, fellas. He plays a mean <laughs> guitar. Usually when he people does. put, put a, a thing up about they're going to play a Van Halen tune, I'm kind of like, nah, we'll see. <laughs> but this dude can do it yeah. so from and the band and that's such an oversized guitar that's going to make it way harder to play yeah, let, me, let, let me get that down <laughs> yeah i mean like oh, oh okay oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so so caleb thank you so much from southern caleb rapaport from nerd yep. halen yes thank you thanks for having me well, awesome. obviously, the fellas, this has been a, a heavy couple of weeks. I think anybody that paid attention to Van Halen kind of knew this day was going to come. Uh, we'd all heard that Eddie was not doing well, but you always have hope at some point that he'll pull through. And I know he fought it for a very long time. And right. uh, certainly my father battled lung cancer and it was miserable. And, you know, it's a horrible time. So but first of all, just to, if anybody in the Van Halen family or friends or stuff, we certainly send our condolences out. But today's about the love of the music and all the great memories and time. So let's let's start with you, 
let's let's hear all about Andy, all about uh, your time at fifty one fifty back when you were with Guitar World, right? Yeah, and you know, you guys may recall. Um, do uh, do either of you guys? I know James. I think you do remember the Guitar World cover that was uh, Billy Corgan and Eddie together, yep. and, which was in '96. Uh, um, mm -hmm. My in my memory, it was always longer ago than that, but I, I mean, not a lot longer ago. For, for whatever reason, I thought it was '94 or '5, but unless it was in '95 and then we ran it in like January '96, I don't know. I can't. It's whatever. And, um, what the way that happened was I, I was doing a lot of stuff with Billy Corgan at the time who, um, uh, you know, the pumpkins were like, I mean, they had just released melancholy and it went 16 times platinum and they were really one of the biggest bands, if not the biggest band in the world right at that time. Mm -hmm. But I had gotten to know Billy well, and I went to, out to his house in Chicago a few times and. He lived uh, in Lincoln Park back in those days. And um, anyhow, he asked Guitar World one day out of the blue. He said, hey, you know, I would love to meet and interview Eddie Van Halen. He's like my biggest hero. And people wouldn't necessarily think Eddie Van Halen and Billy Corgan Smashing Pumpkins in the same sentence. But um, the song 1979 he said, was partially inspired by Van Halen only because he had these really nostalgic feelings about that year and like in the summer going to pool parties and dancing in the street would be playing or, you know, like a Van Halen song would be on all the time. And to him, it was like represented what he tried <laughs> to capture in that song, which was, you know... It's a it's a beautiful song. It's a very uh, nostalgic song. You wouldn't know from listening to it that Van Halen had anything to do with that, but mm. for him it did. So, anyhow, Brad Talinsky was editor in chief of Guitar World at the time, and had been doing a lot of stuff. You know, Eddie had a close relationship with Guitar World. Was always great, um, and had given us a lot of time. And Matt Brock, we had you know, gotten to know Matt Brock really well. And Matt went from being a tech to becoming Eddie's manager, pretty much. I mean, unless I, I'm wrong about that. That's my understanding of it. Yeah, um, partner. And so Matt was always like the go-to guy for years. You know, he would always make it happen. And, and so it, it turned out Eddie, Doug, Smashing Pumpkins too, you know, he thought they were a great band. He was into having Billy come over, so Guitar World facilitated it. And Brad and I flew out to L.A., and the next morning, we all convened at Eddie's house on Coldwater Canyon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was kind of a crazy little bit of an out-of-body thing. I can't remember, I wish I could remember if it was when we first got there or when we left. But I have this vivid memory of Eddie at the end of his driveway, either saying hello or saying goodbye. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember yeah. which one it was. But he was very nice. He was really warm. He gave everybody a big hug. And, um, and so we were there for hours. I mean, like four hours. 
And aside from the interview conversation that was about three hours long, then they did photos, a photo session. And um, all of that was at 5150 in the studio. So, you know, we spent time in there and he showed us the whole complex with the different rooms. And primarily we were in the control room, but we did go in the room, um, the studio area. So where Eddie had his four, one four twelve cabinet there was tape on the floor for the angle that he always wanted the cabinet to be at. And there was a microphone that was, you know, never moved. Right. <laughs> I guess. And um, everything was just so. I can tell you that as you walk through, have either of you guys been to 5150, by the way? No. Uh, I wouldn't. Okay. Only, I a, have... only as a stalker. But yeah, no. <laughs> okay. All right, I just have... You're I just... that guy. We, I'm just have to ask, I, I, one of thousands, yes. Because maybe you would you'd know what I meant. That's, that's the only I know the layout. I know the layout, but I've never been like on the property. But I've I've you know I know I know the whole topography of it and all that. So <laughs> stalker. They have surveillance. They have surveillance footage of you. But oh, than, uh, sure, yeah, yeah sure, they, yeah. sure they do. Face, yeah. Facial facial recognition. Yeah, your drones. But um. <laughs> yeah, you go in and then, you know, Zeddy's amp, and if you walk a little further down, you know, it, it wasn't really like the next room, but it was a bit down where Alex's drums, and I am not joking, you could barely see the drums, there were so many mic stands, like, it was just this lattice work of, I mean, there were like 80 microphones on his drums, like it was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> you know, there would be like a microphone with a microphone on the microphone yeah. and then another microphone under right. that microphone. Chasing so, tone. <laughs> so uh, Alex was standing there and because I'm from New York, I, you know, that's what I'm going to blame it on. I said, um, got enough mics on your drums? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I went, Kind of a lot of mics. <laughs> it's like a lot of mics. That's all I'm saying. No offense. That's a lot of mics. He didn't, he didn't see the humor in it at all. No, but um, but down at the end were the two-inch tape boxes. And that was crazy to see. Because it was just like... Walls? Know, oh, man. Yeah. Like hundreds of... Hundreds mm -hmm. of boxes of two-inch tape, you know. So you could only imagine what was on those, on those reels. I mean, it was like had to equate to hundreds of hours of music. And um, and anyhow, so Eddie was. If you you know you can look up the interview if you if you don't have it or if you haven't read it or it's been a lot of years. It's actually pretty easy to find on the internet, and you can read Billy's interview with Eddie. And it was an interesting time for Eddie because he was sober then. I don't know. You guys probably know better than me for how long he'd been sober, around 95. I don't think it was that long. It's 94, 95. Was when he became sober? Yes. Okay. Um, But he was, you know, I mean, I don't want to feel like I'm telling tales out of school or anything, but... I mean, he was sober, and he talked about being sober. 
But he did have this glass that was like the size of a vase. And he would open two O'Doul's and fill the thing and drink it in one sip. Wow. And then he did that about 10 times. Wow. Like while we were there. Yeah. So, you know, I guess what part of what I'm trying to say is that you know, he was very nice. He, he was very emotional in talking about different parts of his life, like way too sort of candid in a way at times. And, you know, but at the same time, like he had a very uh, acerbic sense of humor, like he picked on Billy a bunch of times, you know, <laughs> but just as a joke, right? You know, like he right. would say, like, "Oh, you, you know, I, I can't." He would say, "Like, oh, you know, it's probably too cold in here for you. You're such a wimp, or something like that." Right. You went, it, but he meant it like a like a joke, you know. Yeah. Like but, me making fun of the mic, like you have enough mics on your drum, you know, like, but um, yeah. Eddie was a very intense person and it was this weird mix of someone that was really intense, but also really could tell a really sensitive person. And he seemed like he was, I don't know, like, like he was a very unbalanced kind of a person. Like the music part was times a million what would, be like a normal good musician like he would be sitting in a chair with a solid body guitar not plugged in noodling not paying any attention to what he was playing just talking and what was coming off the guitar like might as well have been plugged into a Marshall because it was just the amount of sound and the touch and the tone and everything like you could hear it all like it was like him breathing it was just the only other person i've ever been around where it was like that was steve ray vaughn where the amount of sound that would come up a solid body guitar and not plugged in was so loud it was unbelievable and the guy's not even paying attention right well i i i wanted to have you on anyway because you're you're it's such a nice guy and i and you've done so much but you know 5150 for anybody who picked up a good i don't even think you have to be a guitar player i mean this is like hallowed ground right it's like and you know there's you've got elvis and graceland you've got prince and you know uh paisley park and then you've got 50 i mean every that's why caleb was sneaking on the lot apparently because everybody <laughs> wants to see it you yeah. hear about it i still for, have on for the record i never snuck on the property <laughs> <laughs> Just want to put that out there. I still have on VHS tape, which of course I haven't had a VHS player in years. So I don't know why I've kept it, but remember when they did the van, the special on MTV and then they did like, they did the two tunes at the end. Like, mm -hmm. cause you just wanted to see what is it like? What does it look like? What's it in, you know, cause you, it's this fabled ground. And so it's so cool that you yeah. got to go well, and see room it. Was, the control room was, was um, not very deep in the sense of, you know, the board was huge. But like the glass was right there under the glass were all his guitars. 
but it wasn't i mean there was like maybe uh, you know it's hard to remember exactly but it might have like eight feet it's like eight feet yeah at the most i was gonna say six from the window to the back wall it's nothing yeah yeah it's nothing it's very it's a very tight little space um he put on he said this is a song i mean like part of eddie's sense of humor was that he would like he would rag on sammy like crazy but it was like needling Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it wasn't mean but it, I guess everybody like you know like complains about their singer or something. Oh yeah, you know what lead, I mean. Lead singer disease, right? That's what they call it, LSD. <laughs> well, that's yeah. if it, if the guy has an attitude. But he yeah, would yeah. say, well, in this particular instance, he said, he goes, I have this travel. He, he sounded sort of a, a, a whatever the word is, um, uh, exasperated about it. He said. Oh, I have this track, and I've been trying to get Sammy to come here and sing on it forever, you know. And then he played it for us, and he literally went like this with the faders on the board. And I'm not, it had to be like 140 decibels or something. Yeah. Like it was not really safe volume level. Yeah. Like it was kind of nuts. Yeah, like you could tell myself, like everybody was sort of like, I maybe I should run, like, <laughs> like this is really, 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 really loud. And, and Brad's Brad's going, yep, because <laughs> he was on the 1984 tour. I mean, and he knows that that's the loudest tour in history. So, yeah, yeah, yeah and um, but the song was crossing over. Okay, and it, and it didn't have a vocal on it yet, and he was wanted to play it for us because he was so into the song and so i remembered that for a long time you know he he said the name of the song talked about the person that he wrote it about you know what the whole thing was about and so uh, you know in the final analysis my impressions of him he was very warm he was very sweet he was funny and he was nice but you know, you could tell, like, he was, he seemed like, in a, in some ways, I don't want to say something that fans or people might take the wrong way, but he seemed kind of tortured by certain aspects of his life. For example, he said he never went out. He, he would not go out. And we would say, well, you know, go down to the bottom of the street you know there's sunset you, know, you could go to the rainbow you know or the roxy you know it's like five minutes from his house and he's like no 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 like i could never do that i could never do that and um i i mean i know he was super super famous so it would probably be difficult for him to go out right but you know one of the things, just speaking for myself, like over all of these years, I've gotten to know a variety of people who became extremely famous. And everybody's different. It affects them different ways. But, you know, so the other end of the spectrum is somebody like Keith Richards, who lived in New York. And his whole thing was, you know, if I make it like it's no big deal for people to see me on the street or in a bar or in a restaurant or anywhere, 
then it it will stop being a big deal like almost immediately and it's but that's keith that worked for keith you know what yeah. i mean yeah. keith well, would come out of his building walk down west 4th street and he'd say hi to the garbage man you know hey keith what's up right and he, that's how he was able to be happy and live his life eddie seemed a little bit like you know his fame and success in in the life uh, that he was living had him sort of trapped up on that hill and he it didn't seem like he had the he felt he had the freedom to go sort of live in a more normal way if you know what i mean yeah and I, you know it's interesting and obviously I, um this is all secondhand but in some ways you know i think coming from another country and having to learn the language, he always seemed like he loved, like you said, he loves to play, he loves to perform, you know, perform and all that stuff. But I don't think he wanted the fame side of it at all. He didn't seem, he seemed like he was still that shy kid. Am I reading that right, Brad and Caleb? Yeah, he, if, I mean, if you read Noel, Noel Monk's book, uh, there's a great uh, story in there where it's, it's 1978 and they're in Paris and they're on the, the Black Sabbath tour and, uh, and there's a knock on Noel's door and it's Eddie and he's crying and brings him into the room and they'd been on the road for a couple of months in Europe and they were they were blowing those guys off the stage and the followings were picking up in Europe big time right and and uh and the record was selling back home and um Noel describes it as he had a complete a nervous breakdown about the impending fame that was coming the superstardom that he felt that was coming upon him and he wanted to quit he wanted to go home he wanted it to stop he wanted he wanted literally to quit everything that night wow. and, noel, and noel says he, he he laid it out for him like in certain terms like do you want your parents to have a new house you know do you want your dad to have a boat because they'd been talking about stuff like that do you want you know do you want the things that you want that i know you want and he and he looked at me and he said because you're that close it's it's around the corner you're you're there it's happening do you want those things for your life and it was a way that he kind of accepted that was that like you are so close to getting to the top of the mountain you know how could you stop now right it, you know it had a lot to do with dave because he he knew he was going to be stuck to dave for a long time and yeah. i don't think he i don't think he wanted that you know well i could tell dave, you that... yeah dave made him feel like like well, he was just the help well i could tell you what he's so. you know i mean this was in 96 so dave had been gone for 10 years mm -hmm. and he was talking about stuff like it was like it happened yesterday like he was that upset about it oh yeah things between him and dave oh his memory is ridiculous too so and, and so on a certain level just meeting him like we you know like we're all meeting him for the first time um and hanging out with him in his studio for the first time and he's telling stories about specific things dave said to him like on a given night 10 years ago Mm -hmm. that he's so he's still so upset about and 
I mean, he has every right. These are his feelings. But at the same time, I'm thinking like, dude, you know, this is 10 years ago. You know, like, it doesn't matter. You know, like, you went your way. Dave went his way. You know, like, you're adults. Like, you know, okay. Like, he may have said some fucked up things to you 10 years ago. That's 10 years ago. You know, like, he was a very sensitive... He just... I believe... He was a very, very sensitive person, and it was not like he was going to be able to just forgive Dave or even say, like, that it was ever okay for some of those things that happened between them. Like, it, like you know what I mean? It was like right. something that could never be resolved. You know? Yeah. Well, like, he, he, he like was bullied. Dave was fucked up, and he was mean to me, and he didn't like that I got the attention. And he goes, and I didn't want the attention. Right. I didn't want it. Yeah. He could have all the attention. I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just, he goes, what was I trying to do? It's funny that we're talking about him making me remember these things. He said, he goes, you know what he was mad at me for? Because I was playing guitar good. Yeah. And I was like writing songs. <laughs> That's what he was mad yeah. at me for. Yeah. So Brad, I want to get you in on this too. So you spent an entire tour. What was your feeling about the dynamic? I know you, when we talked offline before that you used to spend some time and that was the tour right after he'd been married to Valerie Bertinelli for what, two years at that point, something like that. So he was actually trying to be a good boy and staying in his hotel room after the, the show. So tell us a little bit about that and your experiences. Yeah. So um, he was writing the uh, soundtrack to the sequel to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It was called The Wildlife with Sean Penn, uh, Sean Penn's younger brother. Chris Penn. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. And the movie Pan, but the soundtrack is just killer. So you know, after a show, we'd get, you know, Eddie, you know, to the car and, you know, out of the car into the, you know, when, when there wasn't a freight elevator. And, you know, we stayed at a lot of Holiday Inns, you know, you know, on Nebraska, you know, it's not like the Ritz-Carlton in Chicago where you can sneak through the kitchen. Right. So it was, it was tough sometimes. And yeah, I was, I will tell you, you know, Eddie didn't like that stuff. Um, but you're right. He's very sensitive. Um, you know, I was 23 years old and he really took me under his wing, you know, and, and, you know, Andy's right when he would share, like when he hugged you, you know, it was never a, uh, you know, just a polite touch and go, you know, I mean, he would take his hands and put them on your face, you know, and check on you and like, he was really intense. You know, his dad was that way. Very affectionate. Oh, really? They were always hugging, you know, like they'd walk down a hallway, just arm in arm, seriously embraced. But, you know, so Eddie's recording this. He has his little Steinberger guitar, hmm. a Rockman with a headset, headphones. And then the Rockman went into a little four track, like Tascam cassette deck, you know. With, which had another headset on it. So just often after shows, you know, when there wasn't much going on, you know, I just, I just check in on, Hey, he's like, Hey, come on in, come in, man. You know? And, and it was just, it was really one of the highlights of, of my careers to just sit, especially early on in that tour, because um, as I was telling you, James, you know, growing up high school for me, it was Jackson Brown and Linda Ronstadt and, um, you know, James Taylor and, and 
George Benson, you know, Russ Kunkel, the drummer for Jackson was just my hero. So, you know, so I went to PIT um, and there was this new guy in my class after Christmas who had a diver down tour jacket on. He said, Ron, I was like, Hey Ron, nice jacket. He's like, Hey, F you, man. You want to go to, <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll go to a party. And it was Alex Van Halen's bachelor party on this 60 foot yacht off of Santa Monica Nice with the whole crew, you know, Noel Monk, Harvey Shaps, midgets, strippers, and the band. And I just hit it off with the management, you know, and, and got invited down to the offices uh, that next week. So anyway, long story short, just that story about Eddie writing was so cool because uh, it was just all about the music for him, you know? So he would travel a little leather case full of cassettes, just full of ideas, you know, bottle of Stoli, <laughs> cigarettes, right. An occasional Whopper and which I would get him or, you know, whatever. Um, and just to just to watch him perform. And you're right, Andy, you know, I, I'll never forget early on in the tour and somebody else was in the hotel room and I had the headset on so I'm still listening to him. He's talking to this other guy about how you take a leak on the space shuttle. And Riffy's, he's, what he's doing, what I'm listening to. And he's talking about something, you know, it was just unbelievable. I mean, I became a fan like, like, well, I mean, the, the Us Festival was my first gig with them. And I was, wow. I was a drummer. So I was standing behind Alex, you know, at the Us Festival, just, it was, it was amazing. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. So that's, I got tons of stories. <laughs> that's like the Halcyon 300,000 people. Is that the one, Brad, where they were they, they pretended that they had jumped into the stadium, they had parachuters yeah. dressed as Van Halen, and then they came on? That, Is that the same one? That was in 1978 when they okay. played Anaheim Stadium and they opened for uh, Boston. And, uh, uh, and actually, Sammy Hagar opened for them. Right. Uh, but yeah, they... they they uh, had some stunt guys jump out and then uh, jump in a van and they were in the van already. Yeah, so, to run out of the van. Yeah. yeah. So. God, I miss uh, rock and roll. Do you guys not? I mean, rock and roll yeah. shows. Yeah, man. but Eddie just... talked about how much he hated every every <laughs> aspect of that because it was fake. I mean, I liked, you know, I remember it might have been his first or his second guitar player interview. And like, at least this is the way it is in my memory. One of the first things he said is, well, you know, they made me lie about my age. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my real age. Like, it's yeah. like you know, born <laughs> in '54. You know, mm -hmm. like I wasn't born in '57. You know, I'm three years older than they want everybody to believe, because they wanted me to be 21. And it was just yeah. sort of funny. It was like right away. It was like you know, but you know, the hug thing. Uh. There, I think, whatever this is, not that you could put it into words, you know, but like whatever it was that made him play the way he played or made music as important to him as it was or made the instrument, you know, allow him to speak and communicate in a way that he wasn't, you know, in any other way. Yeah. Steve Ray Vaughan, it was the same thing. Very sensitive person who 
had trouble finding the right words for things. So it was the natural thing for him to do to channel everything into the guitar because then he could talk to the world through his guitar, and he yeah. did. Absolutely. And there That's was, why we're here right now. But there was yeah. no bullshit with Stevie ever, and it seemed like Eddie was Same similar way. in that way. Like when totally agree. I know I could. I spent a bunch of time with Stevie, so I have a better. I could, you know, have real, more experiences to draw on from that. But, you know, when Stevie would talk to you, it was, like he would look at you like when he's being serious. Um, I mean, he had no tolerance for bullshit of any kind, like none. Like it, it would be like almost an affront to mankind, you know, to be a false person in any sort of a way. Yeah. And when he hugged you, like he would crush your spine, you know, like right. it wasn't like he would just come over and like give you a hug. Yeah. When Stevie hugged you, like he would squeeze all the wind out of you. <laughs> like I have a, a recording where I go to say goodbye to him and the tape's still rolling. And he, I'm in the middle of a sentence when he hugged me. That's great. And, and from I had one experience with Eddie, you know, where I was there for the, for that day. But he seemed very similar. You know, Stevie had been gone by that point for six years. So, you know, Eddie seemed to be similar in that way. And that it was almost like, you know not only would he not want to pretend or be a bullshit person, but that he was like sort of unable to do it, you know, like, yeah. Like right. Well, I want to get, make sure we get Caleb in here too. Cause you know, uh, Caleb, uh, thanks so much. You know, usually Twitter, it kind of annoys me, but I, I loved that somebody said, Oh, that must've been the highlight of your life when you, step you know at the met with a frankenstein you're like oh this and then you had a picture of you and ed so let's hear about your experiences with Ed, man well uh it's it it started when i was very young i uh i was 13 years old and i was getting into rock and roll the uh probably this the fall of 82 i was hardcore into the, the rolling stones because they'd had that big tour in 81 and we, we saw the pay-per-view at the end of the, the tour and, and I just would watch it endlessly over and over again. I thought Mick Jagger was the most, you know, dynamic performer I'd ever seen at that point. And then the who the next year I went to that show. I, I ditched school as, at a as a 13 year old with some friends in my seventh grade class. We went to the LA Coliseum general admission and didn't tell my parents until like it was the afternoon. And I said, mom, I'm at the show here. I'm going in. <laughs> don't come down here until I, I call you at 11 o'clock or whatever. And, <laughs> That's uh, about right, yeah. you know, I don't care how, in, how much in trouble I am. And I saw the, <laughs> the who play with the clash wow. changed my life. I knew I wanted to play an instrument. So I, I got an acoustic guitar, took some lessons, lost interest, you know, couldn't break through the barrier of that. You know, you have to, there's an atmosphere you have to break through with an acoustic and I just wasn't feeling it. And then, so that was October of, uh, October, November of 82. And then around March of 83, I was getting into Van Halen. I, I, I the Diver Down record was big and, and, you know, little guitars and Pretty Woman were big songs. And 
I traded a Kinks record for the first two records with a friend. He had these old versions of like just warped and scratched versions of Van Halen one and two. And I listened to them and I really wasn't catching what was going on, what he was doing. I knew, I knew people considered him the best and, but I didn't really know why. And, um, you know, in Southern California, my, my dad was a screenwriter and we had some friends in the business and we had a good friend who was the assistant director on one day at a time. And we would go to the tapings and, so this one taping in, in March of 83 was the final uh, episode of the season and they call it a rap party. And we went to go sit in the studio audience and, uh, and I got bored real fast and I got up and took a walk and I ended up walking around to the back of the set and I saw the kid on the show, Glenn Scarpelli uh, back there and he saw me and was like, oh my God, a kid. Cause he was right. around adults all day. Yep. And I mean, I've, I've, I'm paraphrasing, but I wrote this. This is the thing I wrote like a few days after the, Ed passed about how it all started for me. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll share it with you guys later. And if, if you guys want to read it, it's on the Nerd Halen uh, Facebook page. Um, but uh, I went in there uh, to their green room, which is behind the set. And I saw all the director's chairs with all the actors' uh, names on them. And then I saw the name Eddie on a chair that was written in tape. And I said, is he going to be here? And Glenn said, who, Eddie? Yeah. You want to meet him? And lo and behold, Alex and Eddie and uh, uh, I think Alex's fiance, maybe the, the one from the boat, <laughs> uh, <laughs> walk in and uh, sit down right there with me. And uh, um, I was just a kid back there. I was the only person from the, from the front of the house to come back and sitting with the Van Halens and the actors on the show cool. while they're doing the show. And it's like a three hour taping. It takes them forever to shoot a 22 minute episode. But the whole night went on and all I did was ask, you know, dumb questions and good questions. And, um, you know, I'm 13 and, and, uh, and the whole time, all I noticed was how Eddie was so engaged with me and uh, made me feel like a, a, a person uh, that he was interested in. He would ask me like where I was from, what part of town, do I play sports, where I went to school, what do I want to do when I grow up? You know, do I play, do, am I into music? You know, what kind of music? All that stuff was coming at me, you know, from him. And Alex was there telling dirty jokes to a 13 year old, which was That seems too, about so. right, right. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it became like the most, you know, memorable night of my life because uh, when, you, when you meet someone like that and they, uh, look you in the eye when you're talking to them and they shake your hand with a grip like I'll never forget meeting him and shaking his hand and he's looking into my eye that's what I noticed right away and it was kind of like like Joe DiMaggio you know Joe DiMaggio never took a night off uh, and he was famously said like I, I know because if I take a night off there's a kid out there who wanted to see me right and they they wanted to get the, the full Joe DiMaggio and I think wherever Eddie went he wanted to leave that impression, especially with young people, that he was, you know, young once too, and had heroes and stuff like that. And it, uh, you know, I left that night and I had an electric guitar within a couple of weeks and I stayed in my room for the rest of my teens and, you know, <laughs> you know, all of it. So it all, it all just happened. And I, I started my chase of Eddie Van Halen that night and, you know, would meet him again a few times along the road and, 
and you know have closure and all that stuff because i was i was literally like obsessed after that moment because right. i went home i went home and i listened to those records which so for people that are watching or listening to this so caleb has a band called nerd halen out of california which is it's spectacular thank you uh, you guys are great i mean it's hard to pull that off and you guys do it with a whimsy you do it with both whimsy and you also kick ass so that's a great combination well that was the plan i i knew i knew i wasn't going to be able to you know put on the wig and and the, the tights and no and and do the eddie it would have been like howard stern i'm six four so it would, it would look very awkward <laughs> and, uh, so i had to come up with a gimmick and the gimmick i wanted to come up with was i wanted to lower the expectation of the music uh by having us look a certain way so the, the nerd halen thing evolved uh you know there's some other bands that dress like nerds and play music and that's fine and and i'm not trying to lift their idea because i don't think it's their idea i think they lifted it from the you know revenge of the nerds where there's a band at the end so right uh but, so did he know Caleb that you guys were doing this? Was he aware of you guys? Oh yeah. Um, in fact, I was able to tell Alex about it. So uh, and he and he loved the idea himself. So um, uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to completely lower the expectation, and then the music would would be spot on. And that's you know that's kind of where I think we're going and where we're at. You know, especially with how my playing's evolved and the, you know, I always wanted to copy his feel. I never wanted to note the note for note. You know, I wanted to get that feel that he had and, and uh, you know, uh, the idea came and I finally put the band together and, you know, I started selling t-shirts before there was even a band. It was just me, but I, I started just pushing this idea uphill and uh, it started to catch fire and, you know, I was able to land a celebrity singer in Hal Sparks and and uh, he plays the, the perfect part. It's almost like he's Waldo grown up. Yeah. From the, from the Hot for Teacher video is kind of the where we where we kind of created the, the theme. And and uh, I'm but just you know having what? I'm having a blast. And, you know, even <laughs> I was able to get, uh, you know, a, an artist relationship with EVH gear uh, at the beginning of the year. And for cool. me, that that's like the greatest thing that's ever happened in my that's musical cool. life because I finally, I caught, uh, I feel like I finally caught him at right. that moment. You know what I mean? Like I finally caught him, and I know that for a fact that he he knew about the project and thought it was a good idea, and and obviously Matt Brock knew about it. And Matt's you know had a lot to do with me coming aboard with EVH, and and uh, it's uh, it's an honor. It's an yeah. honor to be involved. I'm the only tribute artist of the artist, you know, roster. There's only one tribute artist in that roster. So that's cool. And there's a lot of great Van Halen tributes. Yeah, there so, is. You know, a lot of great players, a lot of good people uh, doing this. And and uh, so for me, it's it's you know, and we were on such a nice little trajectory there until right. the, the madness and and uh, so yeah, that's COVID's that's been terrible. Yeah, yeah, but. For me, it took a long time for me to, to, to get to this point because uh, music never really worked out for me uh, after all those years. It just kind of was like uh, I became an actor and tried that and did you know odd jobs, a lot of fail and and finally was able to uh, come up with something that I could you know put my own passion into, which is the secret, by the way, out there. Yeah. Do what you really love doing. Uh, because nobody else is going to do that harder than you. Yeah. That's yeah. the truth. You know so, what I mean? So, yeah, so two quick things on that. Well, first, if you hate any of the guitars they send you, Caleb, 
Mm-hmm. Shoot them out of my <laughs> okay. They've only sent me one. Well, and, okay. uh, and it's, it's fantastic. These, uh, these, yeah, uh, I'm all for recycling replicas are fantastic. I, it's, it, I was afraid it was going to not be that good. And be, because then I would have to play a guitar that I wasn't fond of. Cause I have other guitars that I've built that are incredible, but this thing that they put out this year, and I almost think it's like an, a gift from Eddie, everybody who's touched this guitar feels something very special in the neck. And just the way it feels and obviously when you look down at this and see what you're playing you feel like you're playing the one right and uh there's a psychological thing that goes into that so that's cool well i, would, I, hate, I, to, I hate to say this but i have to go no i appreciate i know you're on the east uh, coast and, and, really and great to meet all you guys and it's been a lot of fun to talk and um so you know uh i you know, Eddie's been a, a wonderfully inspirational person for so many people over so many generations. He's going to continue to be. You know, he was only uh, about two years older than me, like not even like a full two years older than me. So we were real close in age. And, you know, so I feel lucky that I, I got to meet him and spend some time with him. Um, get a feeling for him as a person, you know. Um, absolutely and he was when you know in my experience with with him was it was a very memorable nice experience you know so uh so i'm sorry i have to go no it's it's late and uh, andy thanks so much for doing it uh and i'm saying you've been on my podcast twice andy so you want barbecue sauce from kansas city i do you want anything you let me you let me know i'll hook you up I, do I, have to come, I have to come on again for that or no no we'll send you barbecue sauce i got a lot thanks, of free andy. time in 2020 thanks I so think. much andy have a great thanks, night yes all right okay, so as he, if he drops off i just wanted to say real quick before we go because you know I, i'm sure we could sit and talk hours but one of the things that there's two things i think about van halen that i think all of us will get but some people they were so much fun man you know, you'd go to a Van Halen concert and you could not not have a great time. It was fun. And there's so much like it's so there's so many acts. They take it too seriously and stuff. They all do, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Every every act takes themselves seriously. And Van yeah. Halen was the only one that appeared like they te- didn't take it seriously. It was, they took it seriously. Yeah, the music. The appearance yeah. was this is fun. We're having fun. We're forgetting the fucking words. You know, like it's it's a yeah. good time. And that's that's something they brought to rock and roll that nobody else did. And that was their, you know, aside from the sounds and the music and the melodies and all the things that we, we are still timeless today, that music yeah. is still as new to the ear as it is the day it was released. And that's why it's so special. It's almost like Beethoven and Mozart kind of, kind of a, a feeling you're listening to music that's hundreds of years old in that, in that case. So same Brad, thing with Van Halen. Go ahead. Right. I was just going to say, well, Brad, you can't probably tell any X-rated stories. We want to be, you know, kind of. Oh, I want to. I want to hear all about 1984. So, so, so just tell us, like, <laughs> just give us an idea how crazy. Just give me like one, you know, so nobody sues me. You know, not that bad, but just like give me a little flavor. What was it like? Well, you know, just real quick about the music. No matter how tired I was, or anybody, the whole crew, or the band, or wasted, or just. You know, exhausted you know just when those 16 spotlights hit eddie for unchained for that mm-hmm. you know it was go time 
it was just and <laughs> yeah. and then they does this the splits <laughs> there you go you know it was i mean i just i just got a rush right now you know right so you're right and every time i hear that song at a sporting event or something i'm just i stand up and just salute you right. know for me it was i love well you must have a detuna on your guitar you just went down to yeah. yeah, that's all yep. we can play, folks. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so here's the first. Here's the first moment out of the cars, uh, arriving in Jacksonville for the first show of the 1984 tour, and and there's drinks, you know, at the airport, on the plane, in the limo, going up to this. I think it was a Hilton on the river there in Jacksonville, and we we pull up. And I look over the, the window by the front door and there's two young bellhops with their luggage carts, mm -hmm. like excited to, to greet us with some management there. And Alex is on a roll and we all get out and Dave's, you know, being Dave, Alex grabs one of these young bellhops, pulls out some duct tape, duct tapes them to his luggage cart, pulls out some lighter fluid, squirts it on his shoes, lights his shoes on fire, takes a couple hundred dollar bills, put it in the kid's mouth <laughs> to a fountain. He rolled them into a fountain. What's that? He rolled them into a fountain. Rolled them into the fountain. <laughs> and of course, you know, for the next, you know, what, 14 months, I followed these guys and put out these fires right pulled the kid wow. out and he was just laughing you know it was just the thrill of his life and nobody had cell phones back no then. you could get away with a lot more back then yeah so that's yeah. how it began, you know wow that's how it wow. started and you know we were talking about fame and i i gotta tell this one story because it still wakes me up occasionally but we're in hartford connecticut and that's where um we shot jump in panama in fact mm -hmm. in the panama video in the in the party scene are you where they oh, raises yeah. a cop back there um but that was a blast but then valerie was coming in that afternoon like she she would come out for a, a week at a time mm -hmm. on the tour so i went to the airport or i got a quick tour because in hartford the hotel was attached to a, a shopping mall attached to the arena and I got a, a tour that afternoon real quick because everything was just crazy that day about how to go down through the, you know, through the kitchen, freight elevator up, up to the backstage. So I'm like, yeah, 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 I got it. I had to get out to the airport. I, I, for some reason, Harvey wanted me to go with the car to get Valerie or, or Eddie might have. Anyway, Valerie and I get back. It's kind of late. It's like uh, 630 and I think Eddie had missed soundcheck, which he didn't like. I mean, he would spend 45 minutes to an hour placing that microphone mm -hmm. on stage, you know, or or the two, but or or one, you know, it was just just right. a master. You go out in the house and have the guy just move it, move it a hair, move it a hair, <laughs> yeah. move it a hair. Yeah. He'd listen to the the mains and just yeah, it had to be. Oh, and when he wasn't happy, he'd have Don Landy, you know, flown out. Mm -hmm. And Ken Campbell, and they 
they'd go to work on it, amp heads and, you know, just constant, constant. So anyway, we get back and I'm just like, you know, um, you know, Valerie, they embrace real quick, door closes. I'm like, guys, you know, we got to go just whenever you're ready. So they freshen, they come out and they're like, all right, you know, let's go. And we get in the elevator and I'm like, uh, oh yeah, I think basement. Yeah. Down, you know, anyway, we get out kind of through a, you know, there's like uniforms for staff in, in the halls of this hotel. And we come up to these brown doors and I'm like, yeah, I think these, yeah, these look familiar. And I bang open the door and it's, it's, it's the wrong door. It's the entrance for the 15,000 kids, you know, coming into the Coliseum. Oh, wow. And they step out in front of me and I step out and close the door just as I realize we're in the hallway, you know, this is, and everybody freaks out in the concourse immediately. Yeah. <laughs> they just swarm around us. Wow. And there's no handle on the door. So, and, and Eddie's like, Brad, what the, what the <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I'm waving like, over, you know, to security, some security come over, they get us and, and they're like pulling Eddie's hair and Valerie's cowering and Eddie's starting to sign a couple of autographs and he's getting pissed. And uh, anyway, we get back into the elevator. Security helps us into the elevator and, and it, it's just really intense. And, and Valerie's like, why did you start to sign? And he's like, well, what, the, what do you want me to do? You know? And he's like, aces, Brad. I'll never forget that. He says aces to me, you know? Thanks a lot, man. And I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Valerie's just cowering in his arms. And she goes, I just wish one time, one night, we could be normal. And the doors closed and the elevator moved. And that that's all that's all I remember, you know. But wow. It was just intense, you know. It's like fame is this thing you think is just so great, man, but it it can become so entrapped, you know, you're. Yeah. It'd be kind of miserable in a way. I no, mean, you miss, you, I think you miss being regular real fast. When, yeah. When everywhere you go, people are like, you know, it's well, just I, that yeah. vibe is like, Oh God. And I think most fans are kind of like, we are guys where it's, it's a loving thing. And it's, you know, if, right. yeah. if he came close to me and said, but I most likely would leave him alone when he was alive. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be, boy there's some real weird people and you know mm -hmm. i really feel bad for wolfgang right now because you know people yeah. were horrible to him for and i was like i i don't think people get that he probably would not have done those last tours without his kid one because i think he right. wanted to play with his son so much right right and the other thing is all the great tunes they played on those last two tours that i mean drop dead legs it's one of my favorite van halen songs ever the fact that i got the hear that live i'd been wanting to hear that live for what 30 something years um and 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 these nasty rumors right so <laughs> it, on, it'd, Caleb. it'd be yeah you're gonna you're gonna give us an outro but uh it'd be it'd be hard so yeah anyway but you know what a great band like i said i wanted this to be a celebration i wanted this to be happy i know we're all sad it's it's a sad way but you know we all were lucky enough it's somebody had a meme up and said you know the earth is four and a half billion years old yeah and you got to be alive when van halen was and i was like you know that's a good way to put it we were very yep. lucky to see it and experience it and be a part of it so I, I wanted to have you guys on it's a it's a joy i appreciate you guys taking the time and 
be sure to check everybody out. You know, I'll put on the links where everybody can check out stuff. Caleb, I'll put your website up there and, and, you know, Brad, thank you so much for everything. And and Caleb, you pick brother. What do you want to play for the out? Whatever your favorite Van Halen riff. There's so many to choose from though. Give me one. Well, I'm in, I'm in drop D. So I guess uh, we're playing unchained. This is better. All right, that was so much fun. Thanks so much. Caleb Rappaport with Nerd Hailing, which you're listening to right now. That's them playing live. Aren't they fabulous? When I'm telling you, when COVID is over, I'm going to Los Angeles. I am going to a Nerd Halen show, and I hope many of you join me because uh, I'm just looking forward to doing, uh, well, lots of things. Getting on a plane, traveling to see my friends, being indoors with my friends, and then lastly, seeing some live music indoors. Be awesome. So thanks to Caleb Rappaport, Nerd Halen, thanks so much to Andy Alador. What a gem of a guy. What a nice guy. Please check out his stuff. His book, uh, the uh, biography of Stevie Ray Vaughan, is excellent that he did with Alan Paul. And he does lessons online. Um, he's a fabulous player, too. So check him out. And then my new friend, I you know, this is where life is cool, Brad Nye. Uh, Brad Nye is friends with one of my good college friends, Billy Decker. And uh, Brad came in on the 11th hour to add to it. And, and, and what great stories to add, man, to being the fact that he was on uh, the infamous 1984 tour of Van Halen and at the Us Festival. Uh, those are memories that are going to last a lifetime. So thanks so much to Brad, too. Check out all those links in the show notes. Uh, support these people. Let them know how much you enjoyed them taking the time to talk to me. Uh, give them a little love if you can. That would be great. So that's going to do it for this episode of Trading Fours. Next time we're headed back to Kansas City, folks. We're going to talk to a bassist, Blake Eberhard. Uh, Blake moved to Kansas City from Colorado in April of this year. What a fabulous time, Blake, to move to Kansas City. So he's been itching to play out live in Kansas City and meet folks and stuff. So we're going to do it virtually for him. I'm going to introduce you people to him. He has played with some fabulous players. How about, uh, I don't know, Vince Gill? How about Dr. John? How about uh, John Denver? The list is long. He's a super nice guy. He's a great bass player. He's here in town in Kansas City. He gives lessons. He will do tracks for you. So we're going to talk to Blake next, and, and be sure to check that one out and see uh, some another great musician who's come to Kansas City. So that's next time. But until then, go out, support live music, either in person or virtually, and I'll talk to you real soon. Bye-bye.